Hey, my name's Jamie Poisson, and I'm the host of Frontburner. It's the CBC's daily news podcast. And every day we're discussing the big events and fault lines shaping Canada and the world. Politics, economics, social movements, you name it. Sometimes we even talk about really fun stuff like the enduring relevance of Lord of the Rings. You can hear Frontburner on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. If you watched the 2008 Oscar-winning movie Slumdog Millionaire, you might remember Dharavi. It's where the movie was set, and it's one of the world's largest and most recognizable slums. Dharavi is in the heart of Mumbai, India's financial capital. It used to be nothing but swamp. Now, it's one of the most densely populated places in the world. Around a million people live here, in tens of thousands of huts and shanties that have been squeezed into a small piece of land that's about two-thirds the size of Central Park. You'll find multiple generations of families living in single-room homes with very little in the way of basic infrastructure. But it's a bustling place. Kids run around and play. Thousands of businesses established over the years by migrant workers are thriving. In one area, for example, you'll find a potter's colony where artists use clay to make beautiful lamps, earthen pots, and saucers. In another part of Dharavi, a makeshift garment factory, around 25 people sewing jeans and women's tops. This slum is a unique, self-sustaining ecosystem. The housing conditions may be dilapidated, but there is a vibrant community of people who've built their livelihoods here. And right now, many of them are worried that they might lose all of that. Late last year, Indian real estate giant Adani Realty won the bid to redevelop the area. The company's promise to resettle some residents and to rehouse businesses, but so far, details are scarce. And people who live and work in Dharavi are worried about what's coming. This week, we're taking you inside Dharavi to see how people there live, how a place like this can exist right next to some of the wealthiest parts of the country, and what its redevelopment says about the image that India wants to project to the world. I'm Tamara Kandakar, and you're listening to Nothing is Foreign.
Many of the people who called Dharavi home have been there their whole lives, like Irfan Ahmed Khan. He sells fruit on the streets of the slum. I have been here since my birth. So from the very beginning till now, Dharavi has always been identified as a dirty colony, nothing else. As time went by, the residents of Dharavi filled up swamps and uninhabitable areas and they somehow made it their home. Slowly, they started settling down here. Dharavi used to be a fishing community on the edge of Mumbai, and it grew as more and more people moved into the city and settled on what was then free, unregulated land. As the commercial capital of the country, Mumbai was full of promise for migrant workers, people like the family of Raju Korde, a housing activist in Dharavi. His father came to work at a lentil processing plant, and his mother worked in the recycling industry. Dharavi is a slum neighborhood. It is a slum colony. Because of this, many businesses find it cheaper to work out of here. It's cheaper because the Factory Act laws are not applicable here. Electricity can be sourced from residential buildings. You don't need industrial electricity. And taxes are avoided because many businesses operate without obtaining necessary licenses. Because Dharavi was such an easy place to build informal settlements, Raju says it also became a mosaic of people from all over India, of different religious and linguistic backgrounds living side by side. If you describe it in one sentence, then Dharavi can be called a mini-India. If you went to other parts of the city, you will find that certain pockets are dominated by residents from one faith. But that's not the case in Dharavi. In Dharavi, you will see residents speaking in Tamil, then we have people from Karnataka, then we have from Andhra and we have from Maharashtra, UP and Bihar. So in short, people from all walks of India are settled here. So Dharavi is this microcosm of India that's pulsing with energy. But the haphazard way that these settlements have popped up means that there hasn't been much in the way of building basic infrastructure. Residents don't have regular access to water or electricity. First of all, we don't even have toilets. There's a small room in which we manage it all, washing the kids, feeding them, staying there. In short, there are just problems after problems here. Sonu Shah lives in a room in Taravi with his wife and kids. He earns a daily wage working with plaster. It's like I've been living in suffocation all along. I don't want the same to continue. I want everyone around me to live a happy life. Sonu points to an exposed electrical wire that runs right above where he lives. Biggest problem is this, this 11,000 voltage current flowing through this wire. This is the biggest inconvenience. Then he points to a group of kids running around underneath. As you can see, kids and families live under this. In summer, there are blasts from inside these cables. Those summers, we are woken up by the sounds of explosions. Living here means we are not safe. We are not safe at all. 
Still, we've gotten used to it. It has become a habit, a way of life. But now we want this habit to end and to start living in a good atmosphere. We deserve to eat well, be educated well, and bring up our kids in a better way, educate them well, do all good things for them. Sonu and the other Dharvi residents we spoke to all say that they want better for their community. They're all for redevelopment, but they're worried about what exactly it's going to look like in the hands of the Adani group. What I mean is that if they need to demolish the houses in Dharvi, they can. But they should construct new ones and give us those homes at the exact same place. We shouldn't be thrown here and there. If they sent us someplace else, then it will affect our livelihoods, our children's education, everything. This isn't the first time Taravi's been under the redevelopment hammer. There have been a bunch of failed attempts over the years, and there have also been government surveys done to determine how many families would need to be resettled. The last one was in 2009, and it put the number at around 60,000. Hussein Indorwala is an urban development researcher and housing advocate who's been watching the evolution of the slum. I asked him what we know so far about what the Adani groups promised to do with Dharavi. So currently, we don't know much. But the way this is likely to happen is that under the redevelopment project, all of these 58,000 households will be rehabilitated on about 50 to 60 hectares of land. So the net density of this resettlement area would be about 6,000 people per hectare, which is probably going to be one of the densest urban settlements in the world. And the population of Dharavi is twice that number, according to some estimates, which means an equivalent number of people are likely to be displaced due to the project. So for the people who are going to be displaced, as well as people who are going to be rehabilitated, it is going to be uh, quite a disastrous project. What do we know about how this resettlement would work? Like which families would be resettled and which ones are the ones that would get kicked out? So the way this survey works is that the slum rehabilitation surveys count as eligible only the households that are living on the ground story and those households that can prove that they have been living in Dharavi prior to the year 2000, which means that all of the houses, all of the families who are living on the upper stories or those that do not have the documents to prove eligibility, or those that have built their homes after the year 2000 are ineligible. The people who aren't eligible, what is going to happen to them? What do we know about that? In the tender document that came out in November last year, there is some mention of rental housing for those who are ineligible. But again, the details are fairly sketchy. Uh, they are talking about rental housing on another piece of land, which is the intertidal salt pan lands in Mumbai. The kind of rents that they'll pay in this uh, new housing will be much, much more than what they're paying in Dharavi. So effectively, they might not be able to afford it and might be forced to leave or settle somewhere else in the city. On paper, the tender document says that everybody will be taken care of. But in practice, I don't think that's going to happen. Generally, in slum redevelopment projects, uh, the people who are ineligible, there is absolutely no provision for them. 
the expectation is that they will disappear but usually what happens is that they are forced to squat somewhere else or find uh, you know very low cost housing in another slum yeah. in the city in an existing slum yeah what can we expect from the new homes that would be built as part of the redevelopment so most slum redevelopment schemes in the city have very very poor level of uh, services and infrastructure and so on Furthermore, the way in which these buildings are built, they are multi-story tower blocks with very high density, the very poor light and ventilation conditions. In fact, many of these in recent times some of these rehab townships as they are called have been documented as being the cause of uh, respiratory illnesses amongst the inhabitants. The standards for working people and slum rehabilitation schemes is much lower than that for the general population. which means it's a inherently discriminatory planning system so in terms of what the adani group gets out of this they get to use some of this land to build commercial and residential real estate and sell it at market rates right in exchange for rehabilitating these residents and businesses Can you talk about what they're hoping to get out of this space? Yeah, well, so Dharavi was at one time the periphery of Mumbai city. Uh, today it's the geographic center. It is very close to the International Finance and Service Center known as the Bandra Kurla mm-hmm. complex, which is to its north. And then it has middle and upper class upper income residential areas on two sides. So Dharavi is in a region which has very high land values. The land values around Dharavi are comparable to those of major metropolitan cities around the world. Now the redevelopment is an effort to first privatize urban land, which is essentially a large part of Dharavi's public land. So it is an effort to privatize urban land and then change the pattern of its use in order to capture Dharavi's potential ground rent. So Dharavi is certainly Asia's most lucrative site for profit focused redevelopment mm-hmm. so there is a great promise for developers through the re- redevelopment of dharavi and which is why it has attracted a lot of attention for a very long time yeah i know there have been a lot of attempts over the last couple of decades to redevelop dharavi that haven't worked out and why is that so you know the previous project was floated in 2005 the resistance of dharavi residents and the civil society groups made it very difficult for the government to go ahead with the project and then in 2008 of course the global financial crisis played a role in stalling the project itself now the problem is that in terms of the new adani led project the state government's role has been reduced to about 20% in terms of voting and economic share which means that the possibility of dharavi residents to intervene through the political process may not be as effective as it was earlier another problem is that the earlier negotiations with the government over dharavi's redevelopment has been completely reset so there is a new developer there will be a new plan and there will be a new survey which means that the resistance will have to begin almost from a scratch This all started in museums and galleries. Now it's in classrooms in country towns. This should not be here. It's a human being in a box. This is the stuff of empires. There is a great betrayal. We're not slaves, we're African. It's the stuff the British stole. I just don't believe that. It just does not stand up. 
from ABC Australia and CBC Podcasts. Six brand new podcast episodes for free worldwide, available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. Residents of Taravi have been hearing about redevelopment since the 90s. Since then, the population of the slums only gotten bigger and renting elsewhere in Mumbai has gotten more expensive. A lot of the residents have no idea where they'll go if they aren't eligible for a new house. And years of unfulfilled promises have made some of them, like Irfan, the fruit seller we heard from earlier, feel like pawns in a political game a game that doesn't respect the community that they've built. All these businesses have developed here, right from the ground up. Now the rights of these local residents are being trampled upon and it is being given to Adani. The residents of Dharavi are in a state of confusion, indecision. The residents are hard-pressed to believe what are the intentions of Adani, what is their planning. The residents have no clue. Here, there are all types of businesses. There are businessmen dealing with everything from soil to gold, all based here in Dharavi. So what planning do they have for these businesses? Nobody knows about this. And the question is, where are you going to rehabilitate the residents? Are you going to rehabilitate them right here or throw them someplace else? This is a very big situation. That is why people are confused and undecided. It also doesn't help that since the beginning of this year, the Adani group's been at the center of a massive controversy, allegations of fraud and stock manipulation. On the 25th of January, Hindenburg Research published a 100-page report. It accused Adani of, quote, pulling the largest con in corporate history, unquote. The report said, quote, Adani used a web of offshore shell companies in tax havens to inflate revenue and stock prices, even as debt kept piling up. It's only intensified Irfan's skepticism of the whole thing. And meanwhile, the crash in the share price of the stocks of Adani's group companies on a worldwide scale, that has further created a doubt in the minds of the residents. Residents are doubting that they were just handling over a bouquet made up of paper flowers. Those flowers, though they look beautiful, instead of having a fragrance, they smell foul. So people are confused as to what they should do now. There are a lot of unanswered questions right now about how the Adani Group, which is this massive, very politically connected corporation, is going to handle this redevelopment. Hussein says that residents are worried about how much say they're going to have given the close ties between Adani and the government of Prime Minister Narendra Modi. There has been speculation that this relationship is why the Adani group won the project, although the government denies it. One of the ways in which the government has benefited from Adani, but also other large uh, corporate groups, is in the form of electoral funding. Since this government came into power, it has uh, instituted electoral bonds, which are very opaque forms of receiving campaign financing. Now, the concern about Adani mainly is that Everybody understands that Adani has the full support and patronage of the central and state governments, which is perhaps why there is fear and concern among activists that if the Dharavi redevelopment project takes place, it will be through extreme coercion and violence. 
and as i mentioned earlier at least when the project was being undertaken under the slum rehabilitation scheme or the authority which is the state government body there was some political leverage that residents had with the kind of control that adani has been given in this project people are worried about what that might mean how could modi benefit from this redevelopment in particular good question i think uh, i mean for a lot of uh, governments it has been one of the promises to redevelop dharavi on the one hand there is a perception that slums in mumbai kind of take away from the world class city image of the city therefore these must be redeveloped now the important thing here is that in every slum rehabilitation project there is an option for slum dwellers to either choose their developer or consent to the redevelopment project there's 51% households have to consent only then the redevelopment project goes through in the dharavi redevelopment project there is no such option it is essentially redevelopment without consent and all of the benefits of dharavi in terms of its land value capture is going to go to one company so hussein We've gotten a sense of what residents in Tharavi want or don't want with this redevelopment, but what is the perception from elsewhere in India of what should happen to a place like Tharavi? The general perception about slums in India is that these are places that so there are two three things one of them is that they are not befitting of world class cities or of cities like you know these cities in the western world and so on so they tend to be seen as places of misgovernance often as uh, illegal encroachments is the word that is used quite often by predominantly middle class residents many of the more coercive forms of uh, evictions and resettlements are you know endorsed by many such groups over time people have come to realize that uh, slums are not necessarily dysfunctional for cities in fact they are very much uh, a part of the stock of affordable housing in the city much of these settlements also provide uh, employment to people uh, who live in those settlements so um, there is a small shift in perception uh, however there still is a very large group of people who would think that uh, slums should cease to exist essentially in the city the city can very easily you know build very good quality housing in dharavi for dharavi residents um as public housing but it doesn't do it because uh, it is an ideological commitment to a certain form of development which is private sector driven um based on capturing extraordinary land values in the city um and um creating you know um real estate surplus for uh, landowners and property developers so essentially those are some of the uh, the problems and that's probably how one has to think about the uh, urban inequality in, in the country yeah and it's a story that is probably familiar to people living in big cities around the world the same story of these communities that are very resilient but underserviced and where governments can afford to provide them with better housing but they bring in private corporations to do that instead and then we see stuff like this happen yeah absolutely i mean it is different but yet uh, has parallels with uh, the kind of gentrification that you see in uh, cities of the western world which is 
essentially premised on where you're talking about market-based displacement. But again, in a sense, the neoliberal model of development where you are profiting from inequality rather than constructing a development model that can reduce inequality. So uh, inequality, in fact, has become lucrative. In Mumbai, for instance, slums are prospects for developers to profit. Uh, they are not necessarily seen as places of where the state has to ensure that conditions uh, are improved and so on. This is a global story and it has a lot to do with the neoliberal model of development. And you're right, it's not simply Mumbai, it's almost everywhere. Hussain, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. We reached out to Adani Realty about the concerns we heard from residents, and a spokesperson told us that at this time, they won't be able to respond to our queries and that they should be directed to government officials who oversee the Dharavi redevelopment project instead. We're going to keep following the story, but for now, we're going to leave you with some last words from Raju, one of the residents we heard from earlier on his hopes for his home. There is only one truth, that the residents of the slums of Dharavi want progress. They want to have a better life. They want good schools for the kids. They want good hospitals for them. They want that when they say where they come from, they should not feel ashamed of their existence. They want people to look at them with respect. Our only wish is that we should be considered respectable citizens of this mega city of Mumbai. That is all we want. All right, that's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Our producer is Joyta Shangupta and our sound designer is Yvette Sin. Our senior producer is Elaine Chow. The executive producer of Nothing is Foreign is Nick McCabe-Locos. Special thanks this week to Subhash Sharma, Anand Ram, and Inayat Singh. Nothing is Foreign is a co-production of CBC News and CBC Podcasts. Our theme music is by Joseph Shabison. And before I let you go, if you liked this episode, please take a second to rate and review us wherever you're listening. It really helps new listeners find the show. I'm Tamara Kandacker. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll talk to you back here next week. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.